0: Hi, everybody. It's me, Hugh Riley, and it's the first day of the year, 2017, or the first official workday of the year, 2017. And we're back here at thatchannel.com. And we had a busy day today, and we're uh, looking forward to this conversation we're going to have right now. I've got, uh, well, our old friend here at the station, Lamont Daigle here, and um, we've got uh, Wade Lighthart joining
1: us. Great to be here.
0: Who's in town? Thanks. It's uh, he's traveled a long way to be here, and um, um, and you're the author of um, the Wealthy
1: Backpacker, correct?
0: Right, which we're gonna—that's where we're gonna start.
1: We're gonna start we're, there.
0: We'll, we're Who gonna. Who knows talk, where we'll end up? Exactly, because we've already been having some fantastic conversations, and there's so much to talk about, right, Wade? So, first of all, maybe just give us a little bit of intro to yourself and how you came to write the book, and then we'll get into all the other stuff.
1: So. Um, Thank you, and it's great to be here. First and foremost, I, I think there's, a, there's a, a precursor to that journey, and that was, and I think a lot of your viewers are going to feel this way, is from, the, from grade three, I realized that there was something wrong or something that didn't fit with my worldview. Right. The, the way my education was, the way my teachers were, I remember wanting to advance in school. They'd stopped that policy in school,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I—I I felt, uh, on some level, compressed or not able to express myself as a human, the way that I felt or that my inner soul had. And and mm-hmm. that that was, I would say, that was probably the germ, which eventually led to the wealthy backwards. So we're talking a multi-decade <clears throat> journey here. Can
0: I just ask you if you remember? Was it one
1: specific? Yes, incident? I, I, I remember specifically. So. In my first 2 years of school I would finish all of my books with it by the end of October my math book my reader book my spelling book right. all that sort of stuff because I had this desire to advance as fast as I possible as possible through the education system. Yeah. And they had implemented a policy in the school that they weren't advancing kids at that point. Oh, uh, no more I, skipping. Yes, and so yes yeah, skipping uh, you know, cuz uh, I would go finish my stuff and say hey can I yeah. move ahead to the next then and, and and my grade 3 teacher who was named Mrs. Irving who <laughs> was also the principal, said to me, no, uh, we, that's not a policy. So I got first introduced to the concept of policy. I didn't know what a policy was. And yeah. We've given up the policy of advancing people. And I thought, So, uh, and I remember having the conversation. I said, so it doesn't matter if I make 100 on my test or 90 on my test or 70 on my test. I can't progress any faster through school. And she said, that's correct. I said, well, what's <laughs> the point of doing What's the point of getting a hundred on a test or ninety-five on a test or whatever? <coughs> yeah. And She goes, well, you'll get an A or a B. But these were kind of arbitrarily assigned things that had no real value to me as a you know a kid that's years old.
0: <coughs> okay, uh, so here you are. You frustrated. Uh, frustrated, yes. and so since grade three, you've kind of been working on this in one form or another, yes. right?
1: Yes. So the first, the first act, of course, is, is shock. And then there's uh, this kind of a subconscious rebellion within yourself, and that kind of be as expressed as adolescence, you know, where you kind of, you know, challenge authority or act up or be in school, be that kind of person. And then uh, uh, that was kind of the culmination of my my school. But then they they told us about this concept of university, and that you would get an even better u- education there. I'm like, great, I can advance as far as I want if I go to university. So I bought into the program again, <laughs> and, and I was. <laughs> Uh, with my university education at University of New Brunswick, I, it was just more of the same, only it was costing me out of pocket more, and, and that was my first experience with learning about debt. Mm-hmm. So I was assigned, mm-hmm. I wasn't really qualified to handle debt, I hadn't learned anything about money, I didn't mm-hmm. have any education about finances, mm-hmm. and now I was saddled with this thing called a student loan Yeah, that was just given to me which I wasn't really qualified by normal financial means other than I was a student.
0: With compound interest.
1: With compound interest. That right. I would have to pay at some point in the time that I had no idea really what that was. Yeah, I just found that, wow. Well, not only do I have enough money to go to school, I have money for beer. Mm-hmm. That was my understanding of economics at the time. Yeah, And, uh, you know, a rude awakening after I completed university after four years. Uh, I went out to the West Coast to... Uh, I w- took exercise physiology and, and built a career in the sport of bodybuilding and became a Mr. Canada uh, at one point. But uh, as I went out there and then I was saddled, I was, uh, I was trying to make my way in the world, my quality of life was hampered severely as the government was saying, hey, you've got to pay this debt, and if mm-hmm. you don't, we're just going to garnish your wages. So at mm-hmm. a, on a wage garnishment, mm-hmm. I returned back to New Brunswick. I'd gone to the West Coast and came back and... and uh, had my first run-in with the economic challenges based on compounding interest working against you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that was a that was another point along the journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, so that I realized the only escape to that was uh, education and entrepreneurship. I needed to educate myself about money, and I needed to find some way to create wealth for myself, and I saw entrepreneurship because I didn't have the skills or the education or the particular mm. skill set like an engineer or a doctor or a medical professional or a legal professional or someone like that that had a, a hard set of skills yeah. in a particular industry. I had no w- way of making money, but I did know a little bit about training. So I started an entrepreneur as a, per- as a personal trainer and then I opened up a nutrition store uh, in Vancouver shortly thereafter and uh, began building my empire at that point, I guess, as they would say. Mm-hmm. And all the hard school lessons, you know, of economics and debt and you know managing a budget and cash flows and you know I wasn't successful in all of those things you know I failed at all of them repeatedly as I kind of learned through the school of hard knocks and uh, what happened the the next level that kind of came in was in 2000 I was introduced to my co-author of the book A.J. Harvey uh, who was a a, a relatively unique individual so we met through the uh, physical world. That's my area of expertise. And he was a uh, mathematician from India uh, who was a computer science major in economics who was running systems or coming in as a hired gun to fix computer systems for financial institutions. Mm-hmm. And that was around 2000. Mm-hmm. Well, then, of course, the, uh, the big explosion happened, literally, with 9-11. Mm-hmm. And hired guns like AJ were out of work. Mm-hmm. And so as we uh, developed our friendship over the next little while to kind of a polar opposite me, a kind of a physical exercise guy, and an entrepreneur and him, a computer systems, well-educated individual mathematician, we came together to, to learn our various worlds. And at the, at the height of it, he couldn't get a job anywhere, and he decided that he would apply his mathematical capabilities to the world of finance. He saw all these institutions. And he went off and became a, a CFA, that's a Certified Financial an- Analyst, and uh, began his, uh, went on to several institutions in Europe, UBS, and Credit Suisse, and all these kind of brand names, and ultimately ended up on as a risk analyst in a very elite hedge fund where he had access to kind of the, 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 the computers that he needed to start running mathematical trading models and things like that, and he built a system, became independently wealthy by 38, and retired and then came back to me and said, hey, uh, I want to start sharing this information because he believed that financial ignorance Mm -hmm. uh, was the cause of most of the strife in the world. In other words, people don't have, there's this incredible amount of resources available but people don't know how to access it. People don't know how to create um, financial abundance in their lives. In fact, they're taught methodologies, like myself, that will keep them in financial slavery. Mm -hmm. And he said, rather than cater to a few private individuals who... pretty much understand the world of economics. Why don't I disseminate information en masse via a newsletter? So I turned him on to a a variety of marketers and friends that I knew that could probably get message out him not being a marketer or a business guy on that level. So
0: so he was going to put out this message, which was going to... Via a newsletter. Mm -hmm. So a
1: a newsletter about uh, financial education based on how do you create abundance in your life.
0: So b- b- kind of like traditional financial planning, or was he going beyond that? No,
1: very much beyond that. Because
0: we're going beyond that today. We're right? Very
1: much so. So if you look at most financial information newsletters and that sort of stuff, um, you, you need a certain lexicon or understanding or comprehension level just to even enter the game. And for most people, they check out right there. Mm-hmm. You know, unless their parents or family or educational route taught them the principles of financial education, they generally don't, uh, you know, it's something that we kind of stay away from and we become a slave to that system.
0: Well, also, they don't teach us real economics. No. They, they, they teach us everything but the important stuff.
1: Well, if you look at our education system, and I'm not here to slam the education system, it, it, it was a, a system developed to create citizens to serve corporation corporate interests so that you could go to work and you would learn how to be taught a task and follow that. But that corporate system, the corporation per se, has pretty much ended, you know, the the years of getting a job, getting good pay, getting, you know, work your 35 years, getting the gold watch and the golden handshake are over. Yep. Uh, And now people are contractual, they're mobile, the companies come and go relatively quickly, so pretty much everybody's moving into the hired gun level, um, that companies kind of form and then dissipate and then reform and, you know, relationships develop and, So we're entering into a new world economy.
0: Right. It doesn't even have to be corporations. No. Like the institutions don't need to be there. Correct. It's not about nouns. It's all verbs now.
1: Correct. Yeah. So what's happened is our education system hasn't caught up to the new world economy. Hasn't caught up to things like affiliate marketing or search engine or... Uh, global economics, for example, I can hire an engineer in India just as easily as I can hire one here in Toronto mm-hmm. if I want to build something. Mm-hmm. I can hire a social media expert in uh, London yeah. as opposed to here, or I can hire a, a personal executive assistant in you know, Bangladesh or Philippines. To assist me in my stuff, I don't need to have physical connection to them because we have this whole digital universe mm-hmm. that now exists, this virtual society that's far greater than the physical realm.
0: Yeah, I'm just uh, you're making me think that it's like, uh, so, it, as we're going to get into this conversation, it's making me think that, and I've been looking into the cryptocurrencies, especially over the last few days, and I'm, it's almost like these old institutions, big corporations, big government, It's almost like it seems so old and archaic and just like, because we can do so much more with this new environment that has just emerged in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like it really is a new world, and nobody really, except for people that are just keeping their eye on the ball or young people or something, there's so much possibility here, and those old systems just seem like they're just ready to just, they're irrelevant almost or soon to be uh,
1: well if you look at uh, historically speaking um, we can trace back to if you look say to the period of the renaissance and (coughs) things like that suddenly with the advent of the printing press the control of dissemination of information went from the clergy which everything was retranscribed through the clergy and through monks and that sort of stuff all of a sudden you could have the printing press and that way you could get a different narrative of the world than say what was passed on for maybe a thousand years or so so that was a big change because now there was alternate narratives about what's going on in the world or how the world, and then you the had this in, yeah. scientific explosion. Uh, then you had the nobility that took over thanks to technology of armor. So you had a nobleman who had armor that could uh, you know, keep in line 30 or 40 farmers, and the noble would take a, a, a share of that to supposedly protect these individuals, or, mm-hmm. and you'd have your wars and stuff. So then came gunpowder. And so there was the gunpowder revolution. It was like, wait a second, we can actually take out this nobleman with this gun and blow him off his horse. And now there was another shift. So these are relatively violent shifts. Then if you work all your way up to, say, World War II, where uh, for 200 years, pound sterling was the de facto currency of the world and the sun never set on the British Empire. Well, in 1942, of course, the Japanese took over Singapore, which is kind of the far-flung edge of the British Empire, if you look from a uh, uh, geographical perspective. Uh, United States entered into the war and three years later uh, the Japanese as part of the uh, Axis nations surrendered to United States mm-hmm. in Singapore. Three, just three years later because of the economic engine of production that the United States was able to. They weren't able to produce say better technology mm-hmm. but they were to pr- produce it on mass. So mass production became that and of course we went from pound sterling to the US dollar As the de facto currency in the world, so, and and, and currency being the ultimate control mechanism, because if you can control the economics, as uh, Meyer Rothschild said, if I I don't care who makes the rules of government, to paraphrase him, I care 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 not who makes the rules if I control the money. So at the end of the day, uh, this emerged, and then of course we had you know things like uh, the Federal Reserve Act that. Came into power, and then you yeah. had all the things moving off gold standards in the 1970s, and then the explosion of fiat currency, and all the the new terminology from you know down to quantitative easing and the printing of money and all that sort of, which is actually debt, another form of debt. So all of a sudden, you have these old institutions that are. Uh, have to develop more and more debt to maintain control of the population, and people are taking in more debt.
0: And when you think about it, too, uh, w- the whole idea of compound interest, or even just interest in general, right? Uh, this is, uh, where is that, you borrow the money, you got to pay it back with interest. Well, where is that interest going to come from? How does money get created? And so it causes an inflationary, it causes inflation. Mm-hmm. Interest rates cause inflation, because that money has to come from somewhere, It has to come from inflating the currency and so um, and that impoverishes all of us and and uh, the thing is that as who controls the currency it's not us it's somebody else right It's the bankers I don't know whatever you want to call it international bankers or the government Um, but it's not working in our interest and now as we see the debt levels around the world for everybody for governments for provinces, municipalities, individuals, Uh, we... there's more and more of the money in the economy is going to pay that interest. It's a bit of a liquidity crisis. That's why there's so not a lot of money on the street. Hard to be an entrepreneur when everybody you're trying to sell to is paying the bank all their money every month to pay for their mortgage you know so it's like it's it really is time and people i think are waking up the system cannot the existing system is not going to fix itself it's not going to it it has to fail it will fail so what are we going to do about it are we going to be the victims of that failure or are we going to create something that's going to work better for all of us and we have opportunities uh to do that now So let's talk about that.
1: Well, that's great. I think in the history, there's been, uh, and of course, uh, AJ is uh, my co-author, who's not here today. He's in Zurich at the moment. Um, He's as well-versed in the conversation of money as anyone, so I will try and bring forth some of the ideas that he's shared with me and educated me on, which I put forth. There's been uh, 600-plus fiat currencies created, debt instrument currencies, and all of them have failed. So the likelihood of the current system failing is high. Now... Failure is one way, that's a terminology that we also learned in school, pass and fail. Mm -hmm. There's no real pass and fail, these are linguistic ideologies. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's outcomes. Mm -hmm. So is the outcome desirable or non-desirable, really what it comes out to? And oftentimes, a non-desirable outcome in the short term is actually what is needed to create the more desirable outcome. So, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, and Buckminster Fuller said, rather than challenge or fight the current system, you develop something so compelling, so optimal, so excellent yeah. that you make the old system obsolete. So right. I think where a lot of people make mistakes is they, they condemn the current system. The reality is the, uh, the expansion of money, the expansion of, de- of debt and of loans and currency and all that has developed one, maybe one of the greatest explosions in lifestyle in throughout history. It's pretty hard to argue with the quality of life enjoyed by most people in North America or Western Europe or that sort of stuff where these instruments live. That, however, unbridled and in excess, which I think has happened, uh, now causes its own... It falls upon itself and there's a correction, obviously. The interesting thing, point, is, and this has happened historically, but thanks to these here, microchip technology, the ability to communicate with people outside of the traditional geographical landmasses that defined countries per se,
0: yeah.
1: now changes the equation. Because why do we need a geographical-based currency? Why do I need a Canadian currency versus a U.S. currency? Why do I need a Swiss currency versus a U.S. currency or a Singaporean cu- currency versus a Chinese one or whatever? So now we have competing currency models or competing methodology changing. What is currency? It is really an agreed-upon uh, definition or, or exchange of man-hours of labor when you really break it down. is Somebody, at some point in time, uh, converted time
2: mm-hmm.
1: into a product, a service, a value. There was a, an, a, a generally accepted assigned value based on economics. Mm -hmm. And an exchange took place, and these are the instruments of exchange. uh, Convenience, because money is convenient. Right. Now, we have... a trading
0: instrument. um, I mean, uh, people might take some issue with that simple definition, and just in the sense that our existing money systems, they are defined. They are... You can characterize them. They have certain attributes. Sure. It's a man-made creation. They have certain attributes. Mm -hmm. But some of... But you can design a money or a currency differently than that and certainly the cryptocurrencies um, like bitcoin like bitcoin has uh, it's defined by its creator it has certain parameters that define what a bitcoin is and a lot of these alternative currencies whether they're cryptocurrencies Mm -hmm. or not things like let systems or uh, time dollars or whatever they all have different uh, parameters they're defined differently and I think that that's a great thing because um, one of, one of my criticisms of the uh, national currency model is that within a nationality it's a monopoly correct so if that is me- that, if that monopolistic currency is mismanaged, then everybody loses. But if you open it up and let people define currencies their own way in a free market, then the best currencies will
1: emerge and and, and- there's another issue, kind of subverient to subverient to that, and that is, who actually owns the money, and what is money? Yeah. Okay. So the reality is, if you look at people say, well, Canadian Bank of Canada. Well, who owns the Bank of Canada? And then you look at Federal Reserve or the International Monetary Fund, and who is actu- actually issuing this debt? And when they issue this debt, yeah, who takes on the responsibility of that? Which is the taxpayers? And then invariably you usurp a democratic system where that a, a small group of people who are disguised through a relative level of secrecy, so classical hegemony, are using a model that keeps people from knowing who they are, what's going on, and we are somehow paying a debt through what's called a democratic process to a very non-democratic system. Yeah, And that's what I think people feel and they, there's a part of them when they're standing there paying their taxes or they're standing in line or they see that, 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 that the withdrawals or they see the local or the political or the national or the international political debate ongoing, the real issues are not addressed. And the real issue is Ma and Pa Canada,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, a working couple with a couple of kids
2: mm-hmm.
1: are finding that they're working harder for less that they feel they have less time, yeah. there's less time with the children, there's less time in the family environment, and the traditional components. And that's
0: bad for the kids, it's bad for the families, bad for the community, bad for civilization.
1: Correct. So from that's the real issue, independent of the currencies, independent of all that stuff, is that, like, hey, wait a second, there is this nefarious shadow kind of concept that we have no education about, we don't know how to navigate through, that our in- inherent human nature is to buy stuff to get the drug hit in our brain yeah. and then we'll pay that on credit and we'll keep paying up because fundamentally mm-hmm. most people, and uh, I've classified myself as that, that group, do not understand the fundamental drivers of that system. And if you don't understand a system, you are guaranteed to be its slave.
0: Well, even uh, uh, even our political institutions, there's nothing we can do about it. It doesn't matter who we vote for, the government deficit gets bigger and bigger. Correct. And that means that the uh, obligation of every taxpayer gets bigger and bigger, and we have no control over that. Correct. And there's no accountability by the politicians, who are supposed to be operating in our best interests, but that's not what's happening. And so we get more and more taxes... Now we got the carbon taxes coming in, correct? And uh, and um, and I think people are uh, we're, we're, we're coming to the realization that the whole system is uh, we we really have no political uh, mechanism to deal with that. So we're talking today about how we do deal with that, right? How we do overcome this sense of uh, uh, helplessness and the uh, real solutions to this problem. That is getting, I think, to the point now where it's really, uh, like, people, I mean, the people on the streets. You know, you walk down the street and you see a homeless person. Like, there was a time we didn't have that in this country. And, and the fact that there's no political conversation about it, even, is um, is, is horrible. So we're going to fix all this, right, Wade?
1: Well, you know, and it, I, I wouldn't yeah, I wouldn't fi- say that I can fix no, anything. No, no, we're going to fix it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I admire everyone who goes on, but I'm also uh, consciously aware as that uh, you know t- today's freedom fighter can be easily become tomorrow's dictator as evidenced throughout uh, a lot of political movements. I think uh and I I'm I'm not here to make any political statements. I want to be clear on that. There's there's I see pros and cons to many different political systems. I think what I would more encourage people is to start taking ownership of their lives and stop turning to um, unqualified authorities. Your local MLA, your local political system, your political party, frankly, is not qualified to help you economically, as evidenced by the continuous expansion of debt through our society. So hist- history says. Let's just look at this objective. Let's 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 get out of. Is it left-wing? Is it right-wing? Is it whatever? And just say, well, what's, what's the pattern here? And the pattern is all almost all governments increase in size and siphon away value from the taxpayers in order to support itself. That's just the nature of governments. And there's positives and negatives to that, and eventually they crumble and fall. I think in, in ancient Greece they said democracies last particularly generally about two, two to 300 years. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a better form of government than, than say, uh, dictatorships or monarchies or that sort of thing, but it's not perfect. But it comes down to taking ownership of one's own life and accepting 100% full accountable and responsibility for one's own life and and, and carving that out within the legal rules of the sovereignty that you find yourself in. So if I'm a Canadian, if I'm a U.S., if I'm a resident of Singapore or Bali or wherever I happen to be, I have to recognize where I am in the world first. Uh, Am I... Uh, Am I a citizen of this country? And what is my responsibilities to that sovereign? I need to accept that first. And I I had a hard time with that when I first started out. But then I recognized, okay, you know what? I live in Canada. I need to pay my taxes. I need to follow the system. And and if I get to a point where I don't like this system,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: it's much easier for me to exit out of it than it is to track, to actually try to implement change within it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and looking at that, my first step needs to be is I, I, I need to understand how to generate resources for myself and my family and the people mm-hmm. that I love mm-hmm. to be able to do the things I want to do, where I want to do it, with who I want to do that. And that is the fundamental prison, uh, uh, challenge of economics. The first step is to understand economics. Because if you can master your own personal economics and see myself as my own sovereign country, if you will, my own political sovereign country, that is me, and my responsibility is to to make my own citizenship, which is a citizenship of one, or if I have a family, maybe a citizenship of four, and I have to create prosperity for survival first, and then you can move up Maslow, and then ultimately to contribution uh, for a a larger group of, of humanity at large. So, you know, it's, it's taken me, you know, the better part of, of four decades to actually wrestle and come to clarity about that for myself and to share that with other people. Is like, okay, the first step for me is to create enough resources that I can move to a, or, or live in a, in, a, in a state of existence. There's a political state and a mental state or a spiritual. There's all these different states. I can live in my own sovereign state abiding by the, the general rules of the world mm-hmm. and create a level of prosperity for myself and for the people that I wanna share that with. And that's the first step, because if, as soon as I take this to a political level, as soon as I enter into the democratic process that we have here in this country, for example, I, in, I, I inadvertently have just turned over my capacity to a system that we know cannot possibly work.
0: Right. So, and I just want to say that uh, you said that first step, right? Cre- uh, getting ourselves in a state of prosperity. That's right. That's in the book. Right? It
1: is. It, it is in the book. Like, what are the principles? And we have three basic principles that a person needs to uh, embrace in order to exit the current system and, and create something better, as Buckminster Fuller said. And that's a you know, reduce, maximize, and invest. Number one, you need to reduce the expenses that you're running in your life, period. You have to give up some of the things that you uh, are addicted to, Mm -hmm. number one. Number two, uh, you need to maximize your resources, in other words, or your income, as some people would call it. How do you make enough money, or, uh, you know, freedom credits, if you want to call them, that I can now uh, buy back time. Right. Because if I'm spending eighty or ninety hours a week between working and commuting and all this sort of stuff, I only have a few more hours left. Our only real commodity in life is time.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's a diminishing commodity. Every day we all get closer to our own death, and we don't know exactly when that date is. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, we can say this: you know, we have less time than we had when the start of this conversation, and when we get to the end of this conversation, we'll have less time. Right. So that's a real diminishing commodity. So leveraging oneself and building a system that allows one to buy back your time, so that you can think about these things, or do these things, or, or, or live in these things, is, is a first step. And so in order that we can to live
0: that, our own lives, really, exactly. essentially, right?
1: Exactly. And if a person is stuck in the traditional forms of employment mm-hmm. that we're taught to go for in school, yeah you're guaranteed to be on the losing side of that equation.
0: Right, and, and and I think another point is here is that we want to live our own lives. We want to have our own time. We still need to be, if we're going to have wealth for everybody, we still need to be productive, right? Correct. And, and so we're not walking away from that. And, and I think, as we've already said, there's no need for companies anymore. I mean, that's maybe a little few years ahead of what's actually here, but these companies that people go to work for, they are dinosaurs they really are for the most part yes. and so we really need to think about this anyway about about being productive uh, sovereign uh, individuals who can work uh, uh, you know together on the fly come together as needed to, to continue to create wealth even if these companies that have been good so far they've created a, you know been part of the wealth creation that's got us to this state, but they're not going to be around for forever.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, if you look at uh, historically, uh, approximately, and no disrespect to um, uh, the First Nations people here in North America, if you look 400 years ago, uh, European settlers uh, loaded up on some ships with a lot of uncertainty, sailed to this new land called the New World. we had an extraordinary amount of risks involved. Many didn't make it. Many died. Many died of all sorts of nefarious diseases and conditions on this ideology of, hey, I can create prosperity for myself because the current uh, sovereign system that I'm, under, uh, I'm living under is way too oppressive, mm-hmm. and I need to create this own place. And so if you look at, uh, we can use the United States for an example, they started a, a, you know, the, the, their own republic. Mm -hmm. and inside of the United States of America, they found the Declaration of Independence and created this amazing document, which is a new concept of a country, this new idea, this new place where all people were free, and you had the idea to um, pursue of happiness, right? And it was a a very interesting concept, and of course, America as as a country rose up very quickly and influenced the entire world, probably more than any country in history, relatively quickly now
0: we kind of take it for granted now but it was a new idea
1: that's right Right? it was a very new idea in fact people died for that idea Mm -hmm. they fought and died in the war of independence uh you know in the historical records would you can everybody kind of can go into that and see all that sort of stuff that's not what my commentary is about but it was something so important that was they were willing to risk their lives to go for and then risk their lives again to defend Mm -hmm. and then of course that had its own internal strike later on uh, as they went through a revolution another uh, fight. So oftentimes when you have the competing ideologies or ideas, you, these conflicts inevitably come up, either within and also without, with between rival fractions, and that's human history. We've been at war a long time. So, but out of that emerged this whole concept. Now, what most people aren't familiar with, that when the United States was formed, only 4% of the people could vote. They were all men, and they had to be a landowner, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and then that kind of moved on and... and not to make this uh, uh, any kind of politicizing stuff, I'm just kind of sharing historical events, that land ownership was the first right to to say hey you know what I have a say here this is my land and we're going to it. and of course governments at that time was just public service there was a limited amount of the time it wasn't a paid position Mm -hmm. it was truly built on public services and Mm -hmm. there was a lot of checks and balances put into place in order to prevent the abuse of power which over the several hundred years have been eroded into almost nothing and now you have what I call the deep state Mm -hmm. which is entrenched uh, organizations uh, individuals uh, civil servants, etc cetera, etc, cetera, who are maintaining their positions through the projection of value, if you were talk about a you know a, a tax agent or you're talking about a civil servant who is from their part they're doing a job, they're doing what they're supposed to do, they feel that they're creating value, but their value is based on taxing the values of people who are actually producing something. Yeah. So it, in some levels it's a parasitical relationship. Now, hopefully, they're doing enough value for, for an equal exchange that we say, hey, you know what, I'm glad we have these agencies. I'm glad we have a police force. I'm glad yeah. we have a municipality. But when you bring around to circle back to your conversation about the creation of debt and the interest mm-hmm. to it to private entities that are not actually part of the public conversation or part of the democratic process, well, what you really have is you have a democratic process supporting a, 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 a nefarious group of individuals who are operating with their own agenda, and these people are unwittingly supporting that agency who is taking away from the value creation of individuals over time. And they're, actually,
0: har- they're actually harming other people.
1: That's right. Right, And, 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 and,
0: and even those agents yeah. of the government, they're actually committing harm to other human beings, and that is fundamentally wrong.
1: And, and, and unwittingly. And, and I'm not here to say that they're bad people or evil people. I, I just wanted that. to make that point. It's true. Wade. It's, yeah. it's very true. Um, and you know, uh, some people say, uh, you know, ignorance is the only sin. And the reality is, is there's a great ignorance out there in regards to, and it all stems from money. It all stems from not understanding the yeah. fundamental aspects of how money is created, how it is used how it can be used for positivity or growth, and how it can also be used as as an agent of evil or an agent of enslavement.
0: And most people never think about that, and we're not taught that even if we go to school to become an economist, we're not even taught that, and uh, the result is that nobody ever questions that, or or very few people, and most people just go, oh, I need more money, right? Right? That's all they go, like that Nirvana album cover, right? the baby yes, uh, beautiful. And, and the dollar bill on the f- on the fish hook in the swimming pool. So, okay. So, where do we go from here?
1: Yeah, and and, and to look at that. So, if you look at the concept, and let's examine that for just a moment because you bring up a great topic because mm-hmm. most people's belief is that they have more money, they will solve their whatever mm-hmm. their perceived problems are. Mm-hmm. And the reality is uh, more money will just Accentuate those problems if those problems are based in ignorance. It's going to amplify them, uh, as evidenced by the you know people who win the lotto. They, if mm-hmm. you track the lives of people who win the lotto, it, 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 it turns pretty dark. Mm. Uh, for most people, will buy, buy their lotto ticket and say, hey, I, you know, I win the million or whatever, and that's going to solve my problems. Well, no, it, it just brings on a whole bunch of other ones. Not saying that having a lot of money isn't great, because it certainly is, and having resources, but knowing how to use those in a way that uplifts society and uh, that is for positive and for good, or at least from that intention,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think is a is a, is a is a conversation that we need to have in, in our family houses, inside our workplaces, and inside the world in general. And so I took it upon myself years ago to only um, participate in, in, in business endeavors and economic endeavors that I felt that were uplifting Uh, So I was in the health industry, uh, made nutritional supplements that improved people's quality of life. I was a consultant in the personal training industry. I would help people generate physical health because without health, you don't have wealth. And then eventually that led to this whole economic conversation because I realized in today's world, my first passion was health. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was like, why do people not experience health? Well, ultimately, it has to do with the form of ignorance and also economics. Mm -hmm. Our, our health system is tied to a political system which is supported by a pharmaceutical corporate situation, so that if i 'm diagnosed with a condition like cancer, which mo you know at least what fifty percent of the population at some point are going to have a have a have a round with the big C mm-hmm. my options are to participate mm-hmm. in the government program of you know, with our social medical system, socialized medical system, where I take chemotherapy and radiation and follow that route. And if I choose to choose an alternative path to that narrative, I do not have the support of the economic system. So the money that I put into that system as a taxpayer can only be utilized through what someone else has dictated to me, not through my own free choice. Yeah. And that's where we have, that's, that's where you start to recognize in the form of crisis. Yeah that, wait a second, I don't have control of the money that I put into that system. If I want to buy nutritional supplements instead of take chemotherapy, I have to pay for that out of my own extra dollars, after-tax dollars.
0: But meanwhile, the pharmaceutical industry only has one customer, the government, who pays for all those drugs that... Correct. You know?
1: So special interest groups, lobbyist groups, through corporate... and, And I'm not here to condemn that, I'm just, that's the way the world is. Yeah. And ignorance of that... Uh, is not an option. So the reality is, is it, it, it all comes back to our own economic situation, and how do we, how do we create enough freedom units, if you will,
0: freedom units, freedom yeah.
1: units, yeah, uh, whether that's dollars, whether that's times, whether that's resources, man hours, whatever you want to call it. How do we create enough of that so that we can start having more of these conversations? and looking for alternative options or ideas that are more suitable.
0: Okay, so one of the things people can do is they can get the book, The Wealthy Backpacker. Correct. Right. Yep. Which they can download?
1: Yeah, it's a free download. Um, currently, uh, we're putting it out there to the population. With that comes a financial education, uh, a free newsletter uh, called The Wealthy Backpacker. We talk about various um, geopolitical and economic influences that are affecting the population and uh, the book is kind of a journey between myself and AJ, my co-author, how we came together, uh, the principles that we use to kind of unplug ourselves from that system Mm -hmm. uh, which has been great and I feel very grateful for that um, through entrepreneurship and mobility and and these things I used a a variety of instruments Mm -hmm. to create my freedom and AJ used some different freedoms and we kind of came together and created a system for people that they can uh, start where they're at and, and, and build this in a step-by-step sequential process to, so, to, 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 to create individual freedom.
0: Okay, so can we talk about what some of those steps are that sure. people will go through as they're doing this? Because I'm thinking about even stuff like uh, you know, the idea of a virtual state uh, is one thing or uh, a digital republic. Yes. Um, is one thing. But then, you know, there's issues like if you want to travel, like what about your passports? What about your money? What about your uh, house that you supposedly own? Or, you know, y- there's a lot to consider here.
1: There's an, You know, one of the daunting things, I think, for a lot of people is when they enter into the conversation of, of financial prosperity, economics, legalities, sovereignty these things that we kind of take for granted on an assumptive basis, Mm -hmm. um, it can be a little scary. It can be very scary Mm -hmm. um, when you start to realize um, who am I?
2: Yeah.
1: Right? If you examine, you know, I, I always ask people well a simple methodology for your listeners here today is to take out their driver's license uh, so if you look at your driver's license and you look at the, ca- uh, the you know the le- the letters are all in capital letters.
0: Yeah. Why is that?
1: So why nobody writes their name <laughs> in capital letters? That's offensive in the internet world. If you're sending yeah. an email and you write in capital letters, it's kind of like you're shouting. Yeah. Well, why is my name in capitalized letters that comes from a federal agency, and why is everything that comes from the federal agency in capital letters? Well, when you do a little bit of examination, uh, you're a representation of a corporate entity. By the same name that you have that's capitalized. And that allows the taxation system to go on you. That allows to economic freedoms to be usurped into Bank of Canada notes, et etc., 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 and down that rabbit hole. So by, when you first discover, who am I?
2: Yeah.
1: It's kind of like the scene in Morpheus and Neo in The Matrix when he wakes up to the desert of the real. Mm-hmm. And some people, like uh, Cypher, He wakes up to the real and decides, no, no, he wants to be back plugged into the matrix. Give me my cushy job. Mm -hmm. Give me my condo in the sky. Mm -hmm. Right? Give me my 195 channels of sports and entertainment all weekend long. And give me enough pharmaceutical drugs that I can just feel numbed out for the rest of my life. And and maybe I can be famous or something. That would be great too. Mm -hmm. And bango, I can check out and stay numbed out because it's better.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I'm not here to to say that's not true. But as a human... Mm -hmm. As, as, as the fundamental homo sapiens, I believe that innately we are meant to create.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: think that we are meant to expand. I think we are meant to discover. We have been uh, given this amazing thing called curiosity yeah. that has driven humanity throughout the centuries. And I believe that we may even be going through a, an evolutionary process that we're moving from you know how it went to Homo erectus to Homo sapien to maybe Homo unitus or Homo spiritus or Homo whatever, we're actually evolving into a new species. And, the, and that new species sees the world as a singular unit, mm-hmm. sees humanity as one single culture as opposed to these rival fractions. Mm-hmm. And that presents a lot more opportunities. And, and, and in light of that, we created what we call the Digital Republic, which is a virtual digital society that's everywhere and nowhere. And that society represents financial prosperity, mobility, and education for its constituents without the uh, without the geopolitical influences that affect most other conversations.
0: Okay, cool. So, uh, of course, uh, I keep saying this, but that people can go get the book, The Wealthy Backpacker. You yes. can go to the website, which is... Uh, what is it again, there, Wade?
1: Uh, wealthy Backpacker, the Wealthy backpacker dot info. Dot info, and that'll and that'll lead uh, you to the book. Right. It'll tell you a little bit about the Digital Republic. You'll right. get on the newsletter and find out more information. Things okay, like
0: that. let's just bring Lamont in here for a sec, because Lamont, you're uh, here. We wanna. I know. Let's talk. Well, What's, I think what, what I think, think this
3: is the first time I've ever been so quiet in my life. <laughs> Um, and I enjoy that when when Wade 's around because i don 't get to see this guy very often, yeah and you know we we have we have conversations whenever Wade has a chance to to settle down somewhere in the world um as to the um outcomes of what he 's discovered mm-hmm. i mean twenty years this guy has been my best man he 's been my best friend, and um a lot of the person that I am today are from the experiences that this guy has has lived and so I remember lots of conversations, pretty much one that that stuck out to me was back in 2009, um, when I was going through struggles in my life, just looking at my record. Where was I at, you know, 37, 38 years old with a kid, with a home, being married, with the job, you know, what I I regarded to be the Canadian dream. Um, What was that all about, and why was I unhappy? Why did I feel um, like something was missing mm-hmm. out of my life? Because now that I had attained all these things um, that were, quite, quite frankly, a dream to my parents, they looked at right. me. Right,
0: yeah. At, and a a s- lot of us have tried to follow somewhat in the footsteps of our parents, right? Mm. And it's yeah, hasn't usually turned out the way it did for them.
3: No, there are so many... There are so many aspects of the relationship that I've seen with my my friends and and colleagues and peers, that their parents are all in awe of how fast we've come up, what we've attained are only dreams to them. That they're only realizing at 60, 65, 70 years old. We're doing now at 30 years old, 35, 40, but we're burning out earlier. You know, well, I because like our
0: jobs don't last for our, it's true our our you know useful lives. Uh, yeah. we're saddled with debt far more than they had totally. uh, yeah. everybody's got to work not yeah, just both one parents
3: have to work now you yeah. know wade and i come from new brunswick where we remember you know mom being home to cook which is back in the day that was okay you know because they held the family unit together.
0: you know it, it used to even be like that in ontario i uh, did it yeah. really yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah yeah no i remember these <laughs> days and i think when i see families like that today yeah. Where a family is fortunate enough to have one parent at home, whether it's the man or the woman, doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, cooking and making sure that there's a home cooked meal, so that when the kid comes home from school, they have a great meal at five thirty in the evening, not at ten o'clock in his takeout, because we're finally able to sit down and have a meal together. You know, while our kids on the iPad or checking out their cell phones, um, we've we've lost that connection. And so I discovered. How I lost that connection back in 2009 after so many challenges in my life that I discovered, you know, one eventful night when I put my hand on Wade's shoulder, who had already been going through this for 10 to 15 years uh, in his life. I put my hand on his shoulder and I went, Wade, I'm not happy. Something's wrong. And then he put his hand on my shoulder and went, well, my friend, here we are. You're asking the question. Do you really want this? Mm-hmm. Do you want that... Red pill. Yeah. yeah. Do you want the the red pill or the blue pill? And I think I, I basically said I want both. <laughs> you know? In fact, give me uh, yeah. dozens of each. Give me those. <laughs> as many yeah. as you did. And uh, and, I, and I did that. I wanted to find out what the system was that I was in uh, because I wasn't out of it yet. It was one thing learning about it and hearing about the, the aspect of the wealthy backpacker coming and, you know, the Digital Republic and... Um, you know, being able to, to recognize the system I was in while creating myself another reality. And it took me, well, geez, maybe eight or nine years to get to this point.
1: Well, and, I, and if I can interject for a moment, yeah. you have to realize is that you achieved essentially the Canadian dream. Yes. Um, you know, both of you were successful professionals in your industries. You have a beautiful daughter. You have a beautiful house. You have a beautiful life. You have everything that you could possibly want. and And fundamentally... Most people would say, <laughs> Done. well, yeah. you got it, right? You yeah. got everything, yeah. Yeah. right? And I think a lot of people have had that. Yeah. And suddenly, but there was this gnawing, and, and what was great about Lamont in that situation is he had enough self-awareness to recognize, I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, I think it was, uh, I forget the philosopher that said, most people live lives of quiet desperation. Mm -hmm. because, hey, if you've achieved what most people from your peer group says is great, then why would you stop that? So as soon as you kind of want to wake up and take the red pill, the blue pill, the white pill, whatever that is or come up with the reality, you're going to be questioned by those in your immediate circumstance because you're going to threaten their sense of reality or success or conformity or whatever that social group that you find yourself in. Now, this is where the world has changed because of this. Mm-hmm. 100 years ago, you knew pretty much everybody in your sphere of influence. You went maybe 40, 50 miles on average. You married the girl next door, the girl married the guy <laughs> next door. Uh, you did what your dad did. Uh, you maybe took one trip 50 miles or 100 miles away in your life, and that was it. Well, now, with the touch of a button, you can interact with thousands, millions of people. You can go through alternative media sources. And then media evolved, You know, say, with television and cable, in the 1950s, and then you get into public and governmental narratives, you know, with CBC and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then now that's evolved into kind of like a mosh pit mm-hmm. with Facebook and YouTube and these other mediums. And then now there's these rival uh, narratives mm-hmm. that are saying, well, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, so what? You got a great job. Well, why not do this? Why not do that? Why not try this? So there's been an explosion of possibility. Uh, through the connection of the, of the microchip and what that's done in the Internet and that sort of stuff. We haven't learned how to manage that.
0: No, it's almost like no. there's too much choice. There's too much innovation. The, the complexity of our environments is just going through the roof. It's hitting that we, that asymptote. Yeah, the hockey stick uh, phase. Yeah, you know, exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: And I think also, Wade, and you know, Hugh asking this question, is that you know, back in the day when I was making those changes, it was wild. Nobody agreed with it. You know, I had left my marriage. I had left my job. I had left the debt system. I went, you know, I claimed bankruptcy. I did all of the things that society told me I shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. Yet, nine years later, I'm considered a warrior by a lot of great people in my life that actually see what I've created from those changes and actually prefer where we are now. I have an amazing relationship with my ex-wife. Both my parents can't believe where I've become in my life. My daughter loves me and we have an incredible relationship with her and you know, with all the family that I have. And now you know, with Wealthy Backpacker coming into the picture, I look at the formulas that you put forward in the Wealthy Backpacker and ultimately the Digital Republic and go, oh my God, I've been doing these moves. I've been making these preparations for all this time. And poof, all of a sudden, you know, through the systems that Wade's been able to create with AJ, here we are with a system that's going to be taking a look at the way we're going to move ahead in the in the, the new world. You know, so that's yeah. exciting. And and,
1: and and minimizing, if you will, uh, some of the bumps of that transition. Yep. Because when you make that transition, <laughs> uh, for a lot of people, yep. and if you look at, if you study the bibliographies or biographies of uh, uh, historical figures or game changers or They go through incredible hardships, uh, whether it's political or economic or personal hardships, when they make transitions from one uh, strata of society into a new strata of And you can go whether it's Martin Luther King or, or, or Gandhi or whether it's, uh, you know, someone here in, in, in the greater Toronto area, metropolitan area, that decides that, hey, you know what? I'm not going to Mega Biggie Corp this weekend. I'm going to do my own thing.
0: And we hear about these stories, like I mean, we, this is this is some of that free man uh, type stuff. Uh, basically, talking about sovereignty, talking about yeah. what our relationship is with the legal system. Um, and we've heard stories about uh, you know warriors uh, in that movement in Canada uh, that have gone to jail because um, they've been trying to fight the system and try to do it, but, but they get, something happens and they end up in jail.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, I've, I've uh, met a lot of those individuals and had conversations with them and, and it comes back to, again, <coughs> I think a lot of people, the natural nature of, of, of homo sapien the species is to create a conflict with whoever they feel is running the show. And I think that's a danger. Uh, The enemy is not Canada. The Mm -hmm. enemy is not the tax-chasing system. The enemy is not the bankers. These are just merely components of the current system. Mm -hmm. The key is not to compete against, is to go back to that Buckminster Fuller idea is create a new system, create a new model that makes the old one obsolete. I'll give you an example that we can see in the real world. And this is a big uh, political and economic conversation. If you look at Uber... Yep. Uber came out of nowhere basically the idea that you can uh, partake in a taxi service essentially around the world and you can eliminate all the challenges that come with that system uh, you know uh, e- economic monopolies, sketchiness of this of, of maybe the driver that's taking you if you've traveled in places like Central America or uh, <laughs> Asia and stuff <laughs> where you don't know who you're getting into the car and you're relatively at the whims of that. Well now you have an accountability system built in through a digital platform mm-hmm. that allow, and, and an exchange of money through a platform so that you eliminate the friction inside of an environment. and you allow independent people, an independent Uber driver, c- to connect with an independent customer mm-hmm. outside of the generalized methodology of normal exchange in these systems. Mm-hmm. So now you have a, a form of digital dictatorship. We'll call it Uber that have created a set of rules that people go, I like this dictatorship. I want to participate in this dictatorship. And in there, there's economic exchanges that happen that creates prosperity for both the customer and for the, for the, uh, the user or the, the contractee and also for the people who create the system. They take a slice of that and that's just normal business and I think it's a wonderful thing. Now, of course, if I'm a taxi driver here in Toronto that has been part of one of the local taxi services, all of a sudden, I see that perhaps as a conflict to my way of life. And if you take this down the road another 5, 10, 15 years, when probably virtually all of the taxi services are going to be run by artificial intelligence, driverless cars, well, now we've eliminated the need for a driver. Mm -hmm. Now, for people who are a driver right now, Mm -hmm. that's a scary thought, and a lot of them are going to fight and resist that. But it's a futile resistance because... uh, economic efficiency always drives these engines and so if you use a political campaign and block that it's only a limited amount of time that's going to do that you're, you're part of the problem uh, and if you look at the United States and a lot of the research comes out of there there's a million uh, long there's, there's a million truck drivers in America oh, yeah. that represents like a percentage of the the workforce. Mm-hmm a huge amount of people that will likely be out of work if you look at, then you look at gas stations, you look at uh, all the secondary works and mechanics and labor, we're talking a massive tectonic shift of economy thanks to artificial intelligence and eventually robotics and these type of things. So here we are poised at the greatest explosion of technology ever. We are going to be able to develop uh, an artificially intelligent robotic digital system that performs almost all manual labor. In the course of our lifetime, we will probably see this come to fruition, which now means: What does it mean to be a human? Because most people will define themselves by their job,
0: and also, you know. But we need an economic system that supports being a human. Correct. Right. And and if we just translate the system we got to that environment, and we see it now, right? Yeah, we do have more overall wealth. There's so many great things happening, but. It's, it's being distributed uh, unequally. we got people on the streets, and then we got, you got know, 1% of the population making 90% of the money. Mm-hmm. So
1: and, and largely in part why that is, is because that 1% has taken the time to educate them financially and build systems that allows them to accumulate and distribute wealth mm-hmm. on a massive scale without them trading a massive amount of time. Mm-hmm. So they've created that type of system and to strip away the political ideologies or the hegemic ideas or them us and them kind of conversations, that's fundamentally what those people have done. Mm-hmm. Is they've created a system of generating wealth while they're sleeping, they don't actually have to work on, on, a, on a daily basis in order to uh, enjoy the technological advances that we are now involved in so they got time freedom and that comes down to investing ultimately uh, it comes at how do you invest your time how do you invest your money Mm -hmm. are two critical components to determine how much time wealth Mm -hmm. you're able to enjoy and then hopefully when you most people when they they enter out of the equation like once you have enough money Mm -hmm. to do what you want and live where you want and to not have to go to work and I'm fortunate enough that I'm in that situation. I don't have to go to work. I don't ever have to work again if I don't ever want to. Uh, I can live a beautiful life. I can travel the world. I have a a wonderful economic situation. But I'll tell you what happens when you hit that situation. A lot of people don't experience that till they're retired. You start to look at and go, well, how do I contribute to mankind? How do I push the needle of humanity a little bit forward to make the world a better place? How do I create legacy that allows uh, the advancement of mankind in general? Because we're all the products of that. 10,000 years ago, we're the product of people painting on a cave, of people deciding to go over the mountains from the savannah, of people deciding to get on a boat. We're the product of people to run at bullets and fight oppression, and to do great things, and to brave elements, and to to, to live, and to die, and to create a little bit more value. And we're the product of 10,000 generations of that, at least. And here we are in today's world, and I think when you solve those basic needs problems, you move into larger scale things of, how do I see myself as a human on the planet? How do I help my neighbor? in a less fortunate country, or in a more uh, confined political system, or economic system, or how do I create value for people around the planet? And that's why we came to the wealthy backpacker. And the wealthy backpacker represents the ideology of how do I, number one, create prosperity for myself and and stop being a victim of educational ignorance? How do I create educational awareness that allows me to create these freedom units and then how about I get out and see a little bit of the world and start comparing uh, different formats and ideologies and systems and, 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 and formats and then form my own concept of how I'm going to create value in the world. And ultimately, uh, where people end up is what we call the digital republic. And the digital republic is, as, as I say, a virtual society. No different than Facebook.
0: Yeah.
1: Facebook is a digital country.
0: Except Mark Zuckerberg owns it.
1: Correct. And it's shareholders. Uh, same thing with Amazon, which now Amazon, if you look last year, made more sales than the entire retail environment in the United States of America, the largest economic engine in the world. All of a sudden now, online sales are outstripping traditional retail. People are going online in the younger generations, like your daughter and these, others, they don't think about going to the store or calling the operator or anything like that. They go online, they go into, into these kind of digital universes, these digital countries, which tells them gives them information and ideas and where they can purchase or take information or products or services or learn about things or whatever. And there's in a medium of exchange. And so these digital dictatorships and I'm not using that in a bad way, I'm just I, I don't know what any other world I can call it, whether it's Amazon or Facebook or Google or these types of it's things. It's just because are, the
0: governance of those organizations right. is is uh, run outside geo. We, we're not involved. Somebody else is making all right. those decisions. That's right. So we can either buy it or not.
1: Correct. Yeah. Correct.
3: It's the educational namesake of, you
1: know. Yeah. The, and I think for a lot of part, they've created an, an enormous value. Yeah. What's interesting is we formed up originally tribal societies because that helped sustain our value as individuals. And then those tribal uh, societies move into city-states. And then those city-states became into country-states. And primarily, those country-states were based on a few different things. And they were based on uh, uh, the the geology of the area, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: uh, the languaging Mm -hmm. that may be used in that area, and the social customs or traditions that define that culture. Mm -hmm. Well, now, with the Internet, all of those are being completely obliterated. Now you're not confined by geology. Uh, or geographic. You're not confined by your social... I can, I can understand any language thanks to Google. I could just type in and get a conversion of that language. Yeah, uh, It's only a matter of time before it's completely auditory with every language. Um, now I can choose whether what theological belief I want or no theological belief. So the traditional definitions of society and countries and issues and how those operational things are now being challenged by the people in them and say, well, I want, to, I want to live this way, I want to live that way. Now, the challenge is, I think, as an individual, is to not take up a violent approach towards the sovereign that you're in.
2: Mm-hmm. And the
1: tendency is to, to generate blame or condemnation or, you know, it's them and we're the enslaved and all this stuff. That is a very disempowering conversation, ultimately. It's good to recognize this is the system. Just take it as an outcome, take it as a thing. It's an experiment. Uh, I, don't wanna, I like some of the aspects of this experiment. I don't like some of them. I'm going off and create my own idea, and if I can attract enough people to that, maybe that's going to be the, the, the next version of human society. And, and that's what we've gone out and done uh, with the Digital Republic.
0: Okay. i got an idea. Why don't we break, just take a little short break. Sure. Or maybe if this is on YouTube, this will be part one, and then we'll come back with part two. I think what we've done is we've done a pretty good job of outlining some of the problems. And, of course, we've told everybody to go get the Wealthy Backpacker.info. Get the book for free. It's a free download. But that's a good starting point. But we're going to come back after the break or in part two and talk about, you know, get into the nitty-gritty about some of these solutions that uh, the Digital Republic represents and that can be found in the Wealthy Backpacker free download book. You know what I'm saying?
1: Free is always How's that good. sound? Excellent. Yeah. I look good? forward to
0: it. All right. We're going to take a little break. Come right back thatchannel.com.